Hiya, it's Tim here, and before I let you enjoy the podcast, I have a quick note. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from Fallout Boys' So Much for Stardust, written and performed by Pete Vence, Patrick Stump, Joe Troman, and Andy Hurley. It was released on 24th of March on the labels Fueled by Roman and DCD2. Enjoy. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hi, it's Tim Burgess here, and I'm delighted to be bringing my world-famous listening party to Absolute Radio. During lockdown, in what feels like such a long time ago now, with everyone missing live music, I realised... We all had the opportunity to bring people together to take part in one great big listening party. So over the years, we've played back over a thousand albums in real time, all together, along with the people behind them. Now, I'm really excited to be bringing these listening parties to the radio, where we'll be celebrating iconic, brand new and lesser known albums. And I'll be joined by some of my favourite artists who made those records. Remember, it's not a listening party if you don't get involved, so don't forget to tweet me using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party throughout the show. This episode, I'm joined by one of the most popular pop-punk bands in the world. They're a multi-Grammy-nominated band whose albums have gone multi-platinum internationally. They've had four number ones on the Billboard 200, they've headlined stadiums around the world, and their eighth album, So Much, open brackets, four close brackets, Stardust, came out on the 24th of March. It's Fallout Boy. Hi, it's Tim Burgess, and this is a listening party on Absolute Radio, and I'm delighted to be joined by Patrick, Pete and Andy from Fallout Boy. Welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Good to see you. Been here for a few days. Yeah, uh, yeah, we started in Berlin. We did two shows here and then I think we're going tomorrow going home tomorrow so. yeah as I said uh, this is a listening party and I'd like to <coughs> explain the concept so basically during lockdown uh, I came up with the idea so it would be like three years ago that um, I would invite bands to come uh, onto Twitter and talk about an album in its entirety so we'd everybody all over the world would, would press play at the same time and we'd listen to their album members of the band would tweet along they'd answer fans questions and it just became a thing. Um, we started out with, you know, people in my phone book, uh, Blur and Oasis and Chemical Brothers and bands like that. And then before too long, you know, we had Paul McCartney doing it and um, I Maiden and cool people like that. Did you have anybody anyone's heard of, though? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not, but I mean, I'm working at it. I'm working on it and, you know, we've got a radio show and now yeah, you're Paul here. Paul McCartney's so. going places. <laughs> so, uh, you know, here we are. So we're going to be listening to your album so much in brackets for Stardust. Uh, I, I love uh, a title with brackets in it, especially one in the middle. Yeah, uh, yeah, what's, what's it all about? Uh, to me, because it's, you know, it's it's definitely like a double or triple entendre. Like, yeah. I, I, I think that it's like, you know, you can go to the base of the like, well, like everyone's trying to be someone and have their moment. And, you know, like and, and the idea of like it's, that doesn't fill you up, you know, like you are who you are. But I also think that there is something to be said for like that we, you know, like just so much stardust. Like we just 
all are like made up of stars just carbon or whatever and you still kind of can't get it together like i still feel like you look out into the world and the world just feels like i don't know like a little unhinged and kind of on edge and bubbling under the surface you know and so there's all of that in it i think and i also love brackets in the middle because it's kind of like (laughs) do we say it do we not say what are we doing here you know yeah it's fun i love that i love that yeah i love i love the idea stardust memories and stars in general yeah. you know mm-hmm. i think from doing the listening parties um on twitter you know um lots of lots of people said really wonderful things about it one of the great things that uh, i really appreciated was um you know as someone who makes records was you know just the importance of an album and the sequencing and you know the final track and the beginning and you know and and how, how to how to find a way in and you know the importance of track seven and things like that and um you know i just wondered how do you feel about that do you, do you, i mean do you do you base your albums like that definitely yeah it, that's something that um that was a really great nod i was i was loving that <laughs> nod. <laughs> yeah no i mean it, it's a it's a huge thing for for us i think um you know, it's weird because the album as an art form has kind of gone through a lot. And, uh, you know, there was a period there where uh, we were making records and people, you know, didn't seem to care about albums as sure, a thing. Sure. But we always have and it's always been part of So, So I feel like uh, and now I feel like people are starting to care about it again. But I'd say about I remember, you know, about 10 years ago putting a lot into the album sequencing, but also having to consider, you know, well, this is going to be just a snippet on, you know, somebody's playlist or something, right? So also having to consider it that way. Yeah, it becomes a whole thing. It becomes a whole cohesive. Like Pete and I went back and forth moving, you know, moving song to song. In fact, I would say there's even a couple spots where there are songs on the record that only exist, like that wouldn't have, they wouldn't have made it to the record if it weren't for, you know, the desire to have a complete, you know, album story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in fact, actually, Love From The Other Side, um, I was like, we don't have we don't have the opener, you know? That was kind of, which is funny because, you know, I think the song does a lot more than that now. But when I wrote it, I was kind of like, well, we need to open the record somehow, you know? And there's, like, people that have Track 7's lyrics tattooed on their body, yeah. so it's important, you know what I mean? You can't be a throwaway, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I know the importance of yeah. t- tattooed lyrics. <laughs> right, let's get this listening party underway. This is the first track from So Much for Stardust. It's called Love From The Other Side. That was Love From The Other Side, the first track from Fall Out Boy's new album, So Much, open brackets for, close brackets, Stardust. You're listening to Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio. Patrick, does that sound good now that it's out in the open? Yeah, definitely. There was a thing that I wanted to do that I've been kind of wanting to do for years, for forever, which is like a proper intro. You know, we, we kind of built to it. There's So the, the, the opening piano thing is a, is a piano uh, phase. So it's I'm playing the same part uh, on, on the piano at four different speeds. And then it plays at four different wow. speeds simultaneously, and then it drifts out of you know, phase. So it starts the first note, it's all together, and then it drifts out, and then it starts to, you know, it starts to go into kind of chaos, and then the strings come in and everything. And that was something that I felt like was the whole record to me, you know. But and the, and this was one of the last songs we wrote, wrote on the record, so we had the capacity to 
decide how to present. It's like an overture, you know. Were you like, doing this in the studio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was something that uh, you know. I think back to you know to the question about albums. You yeah. know, I think this song. It was written as an album song. I don't, you know, it, it's it's for the love of albums that uh, it was even, you know, conceived of, right? So, so I don't, I want to, you know, speak to it lyrically or anything, but oh, I was yeah. just gonna say that hearing your songs on the radio the first time always is just a little different because the compression and whatever is just so cool to hear. Yeah, no, it, they always sound amazing on the radio, yeah. don't they? I mean. Do you still get that thrill? Uh, yeah, because it's like, you, I mean, I remember listening to the radio and hearing songs. Like at the time, it was like a lot of hair metal or whatever. You know, like you're playing in your bedroom or something. And it doesn't sound anything like that. But then like the first time we heard, you know, Sugar Going Down or whatever on the radio, it was like, oh, our songs sound like other professional ba-. You know, like it sounds the same. It's cool. Yeah. Like you just didn't think it would. Yeah. So there's like a little bit of... Yeah. Mystique, I guess, or something. Yeah. I don't think there's anything better than hearing your song on the radio totally. for the first time. It's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of hearing songs on the radio, uh, let's hear another one from the album. This is the second track. It's Heartbreak Feels So Good. Heartbreak Feels So Good by Fallout Boy. This is Tim's listening party with me, Tim Burgess, on Absolute Radio. I'm joined in the studio by Patrick, Pete and Andy from the band. Pete, tell me about the third track, Hold Me Like a Grudge. This song, I felt like when you played it, Patrick, uh, the verse and like the beat and the bass and the verse, I was like, it reminded, there was reminiscent of 2000s uh, alternative radio music i think kind of uh-huh. but when we got to the chorus it felt very distinctly patrick you know what i mean it felt like <laughs> I, to me you know what i mean when you played it the first time it was really interesting it was an interesting blend of hmm. thank you i think yeah that was a compliment <laughs> yeah. yeah it was the last song that we wrote for the record um record was basically done in fact i kind of scrambled to get it on what happens sometimes is that pete will send lyrics for for people that don't know yeah. i write the majority of the music and yeah. then pete writes the majority of the lyrics yeah and then pete always second guesses himself sometimes i have to talk him down from it but he'll be like i want to change this lyric i don't like this i want to change this i want to change this yeah. and i'm continually yeah. in uh in search of my own chinese democracy yes yes basically <laughs> he's gonna make that record he's gonna make that i just don't want to finish you know what i mean um, <laughs> So up to the minute, at the, we've even done it at the mastering studio before. At the you know where 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 I've had to I've had to punch in vo- ly- lyrics because he, yeah. he wants to change them. So we're at the end of the record, um, and he sends me a, a bunch of lyrics that are kind of catch all, but you know ideas that could work for some of the sections that he wanted to replace in other songs. And I get in the car on the way to the studio, and I, I kind of I notice that there's that there's lyrics that came in. I open it up and read it before I leave, and a couple a couple of the phrases start getting in my head. And I'm driving, and just the song happens in my head the whole time. And so by the time I got to the studio, I had a song fully completed in my head, and we didn't have any lyrics that we were going to use for these others now i used all those <laughs> lyrics i was just i was just so excited by it and um so it was very spontaneous it was how a very how many songs have you written in the car two oh no i've written yeah, a yeah. lot of songs in the car how many ones that people really because real ones 
I've written so many songs in the car. Yeah, which <laughs> ones? What are the, what are the yeah. ones that like people really like? Cause it, I mean, a lot of a lot yeah. of songs. A lot of songs of ours I've written in the Maybe car. We gotta like get you just, just get to- toss you the it's keys the- and get them driving. <laughs> it's, it's the idea of moving, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the thing for me is that it's that thing of you know of having your best ideas in the shower or something. There's something that when I'm when you're not consciously, yes, you know, uh, at your laptop, yeah, sort of like. Trying to find be, the you, lyrics. You have good ideas there too, obviously. You know, I think that I think we all that all happens to us where you have plenty of good ideas when you're trying, but you have a lot of ideas that just like it's like you would hear about yeah, you'd hear about uh Nikola Tesla would have these like just visions of completed inventions and yeah. then he had to back you know, he had to it's the worst when you have those ideas and you're like, I'm gonna remember it, and you don't. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> What's so, that Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, he's like, I'm a comedian, which means in the middle of the night when I think of something funny, I have to, I have to get up and write it down or convince myself it wasn't that funny. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> that's brilliant. No. I'm true. <laughs> now I like tell my 14 year old he'll we'll be driving and I'll have like three words to make me remember the whole phrase or something. Yeah. And so it'll be, but they won't make any sense together. And he's, like, I'm like, write this down. And he's like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dad, shut up. Don't You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Burgess here. We're having a listening party with Fallout Boy. Don't forget to get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party. Should we get into track four, Fake yes. Out? I like the way it came out a lot. You know, there's a few songs on this record that I especially wasn't sure how everybody was going to take. I wasn't sure how the band was going to react. I wasn't sure how Neil was going to react. This is one of them that um, when I wrote, I liked it. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it's a it's a bit of a different vibe because it's it's up tempo, but it, it's also kind of quieter for us, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of that's something we don't do very often. And uh, I feel like this song really didn't come together. It's funny, Joe isn't here. Our, our guitar player isn't here right now, but he gets called the lead guitar player, and I get called the rhythm guitar player. Sure. And it's it's funny because you know, in reality, those aren't separate instruments. You know, <laughs> it's, no, it's not, it's not separate things. Is it? But uh, this is a song that's really defined by that. Um, where you know we gotten pretty far into the song the way that I had it, um, which was and most of the so-called lead guitars were me, but I didn't really have a, a proper rhythm guitar, and uh, Joe came in and gave it one listen. And he just and he picked up this acoustic and I and none of us had really thought about acoustic or anything and he and he just went into the booth and and uh, we pressed record and he did it in, in you know one take on both sides and there was something about that made the whole song it was like it didn't right. exist until until like that became the whole feel of the song was was Joe just kind of and it, it, I I love that spontaneity you know I, I did a solo record a bunch of years ago and one of the things that really surprised me was the lack of surprise when it's all in your head yeah you know exactly what it's going to sound like you know yeah. but but when you're working with with your friends and and everybody's coming up with their own ideas you know i never would have heard the song that way you know and did, did he realize like the magic he was creating i i, I don't know he just, he seemed so it was really funny too because joe has all these vibes, you know, he, he can go from really intense to really, really mild and really yeah, mellow. Yeah. And this was very mellow Joe. He just, he just kind of, um, I've got an idea. And he goes in there and he just, and he just does it. And, yeah. and it was kind of one of those things, uh, Neil again, who's very subtle. He just kind of looks at me. He's like, yep, 
Like, and that was it. And we, 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 and we knew, and that made the whole song to me. All right, well, let's hear it. Fall Out Boy's Fake Out on Tim's Listening Party. You just said Fake Out by Fall Out Boy. Pete, that feels very much like you guys. There's also like two distinct <laughs> sides to Fall Out Boy to me. Like there's like a the Phoenix kind of Fall Out Boy and then there's like this kind of Fall Out Boy. Yeah, yeah. There's some people I think who like both and there's yeah. some are the other camps and I have yeah. a friend who's like just like Phoenix wants Patrick like screaming. He's like, I don't know about this song. And I was like, perfect. This one's definitely making it. <laughs> you know, I've been making records for a long time and there's one occasion that we had a song called One to Another and I, I just remember being so scared about it um, because it didn't sound like us. It did, it did, but it didn't. And, and I just think that that feeling, um, you kind of know you're onto a winner, totally. really. Do you know, know do you, when, when, when you're making records, do you ever feel like you're like, this, is, this works, this but is going to win? I do, but sometimes nobody else agrees with me I, 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 because, because, because maybe it's too comfortable or something right, like that. Right. And yeah. I think you have to kind of feel like you're, you know, you're, not, you're not doing the same thing. I, I love the idea of moving forward. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, but people do want you, lots of people do want you to be what you used to be, but you, you know, in order to be... A progressive artist or yeah. what you know whatever that term of phrase is you have to keep going forward right yeah and i think that the thing that you were talking about about like the one where you're you're not sure and you're like does this even sound like like the first couple times i feel like you know i definitely had that when we did this song uh where's your boy and now i know that feeling is like probably a good feeling the first couple times i had the feeling i was like it's I think this is not a good feeling yeah. because it feels like this is going to be so different than the other stuff. Yeah. But then you don't really realize how much of like the band's DNA and your DNA yeah. is on the thing that like when people listen to it, it's, it's not you. like extremely. Well, you know what I mean? One of our managers is kind of our Yoda in a lot of ways. Like he he just has these these very you know subtle descriptions of things that you 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 unpack for years. And one time he kind of offhand was saying something about how Queen. You know, in retrospect, we go, yeah, that's Queen. But at the time, you know, he's 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 a bit older. He's like, at the time, every time they would put out a new song, yeah. it was like, what are they doing? Yeah. Why this is a this is like a, an R and B song. This is a fifties you know rockabilly song. What are they yeah. doing? But then in retrospect, you don't see the you don't. It just feels Queen. You know, it feels like yeah. It, I mean, you can you you definitely clock the differences. But you know, it's like Bowie or whatever. When you yeah. look at Bowie, cool. those records are wildly different. And at the time, must have been everyone must have been like riot inducing. Like, why would he do this? You know, I, but, I love where are, where are we now? You know, as a comeback single, mm-hmm. it's just like so subtle yeah you know, I, you know com- compared to kind of yeah I yeah. Know. yeah i think a band can not just be a city it can be a continent and uh-huh. you know writing these different things is building the map to what the bigger picture is mm-hmm. i love that yeah crazy little thing called love or yeah, yeah. bohemian rhapsody you know and that's what i'm saying yeah. is that you know now with the benefit of hindsight you're like yeah of course queen but yeah, you know yeah. at the time it must have been so shocking for them to put out a crazy little thing called love you know yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. like you know the band that did Bohemian Rhapsody, you know. I actually bought that single when it came out. Yeah? I did, yeah. I bought it with a, a Madness record. Oh, and, excellent. Uh, and, um, but I 
heard the Queen song from the rest of my mates too, but <laughs> just into two tones, so I kind of had to pretend that I didn't like it, so. yeah. which is kind of sad, embarrassing, and uh, I'm glad I admitted it. Uh, <laughs> well, I had to, I had to, I had to hide uh, Scar from these guys because I, I, I was a big yeah? Scar guy. No Scar, no hair. I've, no. I've had a big reggae and Scar phase recently, right. like just kind of deep diving it because yeah. I liked third wave Scar Scar when I was a kid, but. Now I've really been deep diving and I I love it. So now we've been talking about that because he's a fountain of knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> it's in like UK sort of late seventies scar. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. such so, good stuff. Fantastic. I think it's time we heard track number five, Heaven Isle. This is Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio. That was Heaven, Iowa by Fall Out Boy. Andy, what are your thoughts on this one? I feel like this is one that you've got a lot to drop on. I mean, I don't have a lot to drop on. I, I think you should, I think you should drop on. This is one of my favorite songs it on is. the record. Yeah, so. oh, fantastic. And I, you know, I remember hearing the demo of it and learning it to record and just being in awe of, of it. You get attached to things and certain things, songs before become your favourite. And did you like insist that it was just you just kept driving the song to make sure it happened, or did you no, hold back and just sort of like let? I mean, it felt like a song that was going to happen. Okay, but I just love the dynamics of it and felt like a, a special song in that regard to me for this record. Do you ever worry that like your favourite song isn't going to make it? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lots of the time. I just yeah. pretend that I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent about all of them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, this just, one's fine. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Yeah, this one, truthfully, I didn't like for most of the production of it. I and I knew that everybody else liked it, so I was, I was kind of going along with it. Sometimes Pete, you know, has dragged me kicking and screaming, but it's a bit revealing. There's a lot of moments in the song where it's just my voice and, you know, and kind of atmosphere. And I I hate that feeling. It's very, you feel very naked, you know. I uh, love atmosphere. Yeah. I, well, and so and so that became the thing to me was, was I was like, I have to figure out the atmosphere. I have to figure out the journey of the song of the, because yeah. it's, it's a lot of space. And so it's. I would think that if you listen to it, it probably sounds like just synthesizer pads or something. But we probably recorded this song for the longest time because every time we would go into the studio, it would be like, I wanted it to just kind of have these waves of sounds and things. So I kept going to... Yeah, like that guitar feedback. Yeah, so so I, I so every, every day... I would I would ask Joe I would be like hey if you if there's anything that you can think of you know just send as many ideas as you can and yeah. I had all these um, very weird kind of obscure synthesizers that I was that I was just like going through dialing whatever whatever sounds I could and you know weird guitar pedals and things and just to see any kind of space because and <laughs> Any kind of space to distract me from my voice because <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to hear me by myself, you know. Yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, I, think sp- <laughs> I think space and music can be so magical, you know. Like, do you let it breathe? Do you add things to it? It's like a darkness retreat. <laughs> you know, all sorts of crazy things go on in your head. And well, and then and then it all came together. I think once there was a moment when we were recording in Seattle, it was like the last layer of things. And it finally worked to me. And then I was like, okay, now, now I don't. I mean, the song was always going to go on the record, but it was pro- it, up to that point would have gone on the record and have me be like, oh, I hate that one, you know. But yeah. 
But that was the moment where I was like, okay, I like this, you know. So let's hit play on the sixth track of the album. This is so good right now on Tim's Listening Party. You're listening to Tim's Listening Party with me, Tim Burgess, and Fall Out Boy. That was the song So Good Right Now. I want, I want to ask you about sequencing and track listing. Is that song talking about the album so far? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's clever. Uh, well, I, I, just, wish I just thought about it. Like that. I wish you were clever like that. Um, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Charlatan's my band. I mean, I, I, we've had so many arguments about track listing and sequencing that we've had to go to Johnny Marr to ask him to, you know, to do it for us and, you know, various other people. But do you ever think this is the closer? This is so good right now. You know, it's got to be somewhere in the middle. I mean, to me, there's songs that are for sure should be at certain places. And then there's songs that could, to me, that I wouldn't fight that hard. Like if it drifts a little bit, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but there, yeah. It's always weird when someone else thinks or everyone else thinks something is a for sure thing. And you're like, wow, it does not feel like that to me. Yeah. And then like whenever you hear it, you're like, that feels you know, it feels a little weird or whatever. Do you put them in playlists and things like that and try it out? Or do you get that? Yeah, we do try do. them in different, in different orders and stuff. And, and um, it's weird because generally, I feel like we have the bullet points pretty figured out where it's like, well, we know this probably has to open. We know this probably has to close. And we know generally this one has to be in the middle. But then there's then there are things that change the whole context. I remember Pete and I had... it. it <laughs> It's like the entire meat of the record got moved around so many times because yeah. it's like, well, if we move this one here, then you got to move the, this one here, and that has to move this one here. You know? Yeah. It, it changes the whole story. You know? I think it's starting with the beginning and an end is always a good place to start. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so moving to the seventh song on the album, it's an interlude track that I love, and it features Ethan Hawke. How did that come about? Whenever I was w- watching Reality Bites, I would always think about this speech uh, that. Yeah. Ethan Hawke delivers in it. It just feels like really profound and really, I don't know. Like I, I, I am. It's sadly obsessed with the idea that like we just w- all won't exist one day, kind of, you know, or whatever. Um, and I think in this speech, he really like gets to the core of that, but in a very Ethan Hawke, still somewhat like Ben Stiller, playful yeah. kind of way. So we reached out to him about uh, using that, and we reached out to Ben, and then. Patrick laid a little music yeah. bed behind it. Yeah, well, it's actually a fairly big music bed. It ended up being, um, we recorded an orchestra here mm-hmm. at uh, Angel. That was great. I do, like, film score stuff. Um, yeah. In my, that's my day job, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you got time for a day job? Yeah, well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not while, while we're traveling. But um, So I felt like it just fit the narrative of this monologue, you know, it, it, it was uh, it was interesting too because the original clip had all of this water in the distance, right? Yeah. And it was very hard to hear his his dialogue. And so we, you know, technology is amazing that now you can yeah. just you can just cut that out. But after we had that out, there was all this space, and I just felt this tremendous weight of what he was saying, and, the, and this kind of it's very sad and nihilistic, but also very beautiful. And so yeah. I wanted to try and do that with you know with this orchestra and and then joe actually doubled some of the uh string line with some guitar stuff which which i thought added a layer that really sold the whole thing so 
I don't know. There's actually it's funny because you know it's a it's an interlude track. But yeah, there's a there's a, there's a lot. It's lovely. Yeah, there's a lot to this. Yeah, with the little strings and everything. Yeah, yeah. Did you actually write to him? Uh, uh, yeah, well, we, yeah, we just reached out to <laughs> oh, him. Friends, he was yeah. like, not yeah. friends, no. not friends, but like he was super friendly and yeah, super cool. Right. And yeah, yeah. I kind of like, you know, you get the idea of somebody from characters they play or whatever. And I yeah, was yeah. like, he'd probably yeah, be yeah. cool, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, maybe exactly. not. You know, yeah, yeah, maybe he's just, you he's just a good actor. You know, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was cool that he was cool. And I had to reach out to Robert De Niro on our first album. And uh, it was just letter writing. It wasn't before emails existed, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I wrote a message about the band and, and could we use his monologue from Angel Heart? And, and uh, he wrote back and said, of course. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So awesome. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's good when that happens. The world before email. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's like 33 years ago now. Yeah, so, so. cool. That's awesome. And, uh, Matt. Parents got divorced when I was uh, five years old. And I saw my father about three times a year after that. And when he found out that he had cancer, he decided to, to bring me here. And he gives me this big pink seashell. And he says to me, son, the answers are... Fall Out Boys, the pink seashell, featuring Ethan Hawke on Tim's listening party. You're listening to me, Tim Burgess, on Absolute Radio, playing back Fall Out Boys' brand new album, So Much for Stardust, alongside the band themselves. Listening party with Tim Burgess telling the story behind another iconic album with the geezers who made it. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast or listen on the free Absolute Radio app. Welcome back to Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio with me, Tim Burgess. I'm really happy to be bringing my world famous, world famous, I did say world famous party to the radio, and that's why I'm joined this evening by Patrick, Pete, and Andy from Fallout Boy to talk about the new album so much. Open brackets for close brackets Stardust, which is out now. Do you go into a new album with like trepidation, or do you think big straight away, or do you start very small? And- well, so going into writing it, I think you you feel you know you're just trying to figure out how it's going to work. Because I don't even know that we started out really planning to make a record. We went in and did these demos with uh, Neil Avron, who ended up producing it, really just to see if we, you know, if we had something. And by the end, we, were, we went in with him for a week, and by the end of it, we had like half a record, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, it's always different. This record, I, I know I've been driving everybody nuts, because I don't, I don't do a lot of social media. I don't have like a yeah. TikTok or anything. Uh-huh. So, so I've been asking everybody. I'm like, I'm like, do, do people like it? <laughs> like, have, have people? What What do people think? You know, because I this one I feel there's something about it. We were kind of really deliberate on it and really careful, you know, in making the music. It felt like making. I've said this before, but it really did, did feel like making dinner for your family or something. Where you're like, right. where you're like, or I said the thing about like my grandma used to cook. Um, she would really, you know, she wanted it to be good, you know, she's, you know, because everybody isn't there all the time, you know, so it was like a special thing, right? Yeah. So she really put it into it, and that's kind of what this record was for me, whereas I, I, I was like really careful about every yeah, careful you know, guitar tone and, and, and every you know, microphone placement and everything. Yeah. So, wow. so in anticipation of the record, I'm very much like, you know, like, is, you know, do we like it? You know, it's a good, I hope everybody likes it, you know. And like how it starts, though, I feel like is like you're looking, it's like a climber looking at a rock wall. You're trying to find the route. Yeah. And like once you get to the top, eventually you're like, oh, the the, the route was super obvious. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. but it wasn't, you know what I mean? Because you start and then you like, well, that didn't work, you know, and then you find like the, the song that's like 
the base, the anchor point, or the couple songs where you're like, you know, like when Patrick plays a certain demos, you're like, well, this is the one where you can kind of anchor the record around this, you know, and then uh-huh. it beca- and then you can bring it, then you can bring in like, oh, we can bring in the weird song, and you can bring in the, you know what I mean, and like, it's, but it's like looking up and trying to see like, is there a path to the top of this thing? Well, and it's yeah. funny, but to the climbing metaphor too, because as you're saying those songs, you know, you're like, oh, well, this song is going to be the thing. As you're working on a record, I always find that that song changes many times over the course of it. We, you know, because we start and we're like, okay, this song, this is definitely the center point of the record. And then you kind of move on, you're, you kind of you build around there and you find this other center point. You're like, no, 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 this is clearly it. This is what the, the record, this is the statement of the record. And then you write, you work a little bit harder. You're like, oh, wait, actually, it's this one. You know, it's like, so it's like you're going from stone to stone to stone up the, you know, yeah. the cliff uh, or whatever. Now let's continue with track A, I Am My Own Muse. Tell me about that track, I'm My Own Muse. I mean, I think I'm My Own Muse, but, uh, <laughs> but somebody else does as well. But, uh, which one? Which one thought? <laughs> is, that, is that you, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, blonde, it's blonde hair. Yeah, very, can, uh, yeah. <laughs> very, very knowing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that, though. I get asked all the time who's my biggest inspiration, you know, and and it's like, and it, and it used to be so many people, uh, New Order or mm-hmm. The Smiths or whoever, The Fall. I think it becomes a time where you just have to sort of like just find it all yourself, you yeah. know. And uh, so that title really resonated with me. Totally. Um, and uh, so I guess you're yeah. going through a similar. Yeah. Well, I, oh, you've probably always been there. I don't know, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, and I was like looking. I was looking at um, my four-year-old, and I was like, dude, when you're like that age or like toddler or whatever, you just are your own muse. You're like, I just color. I do what I want. You know, like I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not trying to conform to like your idea of my creativity. Like it's just like this is just raw and what I think and like welcoming some of that back into your life I think as an adult or an adult an artist is great like it's just put it out there you know what I mean like the worst thing that's gonna happen is people won't care or whatever you know I don't know it just feels like um, especially the time we're in right now it just feels like you can put out interesting art and people might latch onto it maybe they won't but like trying to be safe with it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and talking about kids um i wanted to bring this up i'm gonna go and see my um nine-year-old uh after this interview and uh, i'm really looking forward to it and i'll be bringing him back to london and i can guarantee that the first record he'll put on is centuries and uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's he's nine he's nearly 10 you know and he's been obsessed with that song for about a year and i've probably heard that song more than any other song Sorry, I can imagine it's, it's fine it's, it's, a, it's a great one uh, but I just thought I should let you know and yeah. um, I don't know maybe you could leave a special message for him later of course yeah, because yeah, he, sure. he, he'll be awesome. uh, he'll be um, pretty impressed yeah uh, that's cool that's that awesome I've, that I've been with you know what's his name Morgan Morgan cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks time for another song let's hear Flu Game from So Much For Stardust Fallout Boys Flu Game taken from their new album, So Much for Stardust. Guys, what's the significance of Flu Game to the record? So talking about the whole thing of, you know, where as you're working on a record, you have, 
you know, you're, you're like, this is definitely the linchpin record, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then as, uh, but that changes many times. This is, this song was one of the first songs that had that spot where I, I, I went in with all these demos and I really, I'm, I don't know. I'm not the most confident guy. I don't necessarily always know, you know, I'm not really pushing things, but I've learned mm -hmm. over the years to like kind of share everything because you know, there's a lot of, because you never know. You know, there's a lot of ideas that, uh, that... Patrick often, in the past, threw away his best. It was like, wait, wait well, what was that? No, 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 the, no, 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 you can't remember the one? Like, yeah. the, you know... Because I, I kind of, you know, because, I mean, everybody's their own worst critic, and yeah. and um, I don't know. So, so this was one of those songs that I probably wouldn't have played... Um, for anybody and then and then we were demoing um and i and i kind of sat down and i was like well what about you know i had this uh, this one too and right away that was like everyone was like okay this is it right mm -hmm. so in those first five songs or so when we went in to to see if we were going to do a record this one stood out and everyone was like okay well we got this you know this this one we're happy with so in a lot of ways it kind of started the record really because without it you know we literally we wouldn't have, this was the one that convinced Neil, I think. <laughs> so, right. This would have been an insane record if this was the linchpin for the record. I know, but yeah. I'm saying, but for a while it was, yeah. which is weird because I remember, I remember at one point this was the first single before we had the other singles. They, they right. were like, they're like, this is the one that we want the world to hear, and so it's weird now. Be I, I know it's weird now because <laughs> well, because now we're so many songs deep that you know I don't know this would be the first song. You know, we always talk about like if we were gonna. Um, Flying in a helicopter, that I would have to knock you out like B.A. Baracus. Yes. I don't <laughs> if this was going to be the first single, you guys were going to have to B.A. Baracus. Hey, I wasn't, it wasn't my choice. That was, that was uh, J.D. He was like, <laughs> he's here, he's here with us. Yeah. No, that was J.D. was like, this is the song. I, I believe in this song. And I was like, okay. You know, I, I, don't, I never believe in anything of mine. So, so yeah. you know, but... Uh, I think that's sweet, you know, to not always be convinced by your own ideas <laughs> yeah I, yeah i don't know i don't really i look man i didn't even intend to be a singer i don't know what you know i was i i'm just a, a drummer and we didn't have anybody that could sing and i just really wanted to write songs you know so i'm still you know we've been doing it now 22 years and i still feel this like you know uh, distance from it. So, you know, when I when I write these songs, I'm still like, is this is this okay or is this, you know, is this does this pass? Is this an okay song? You know? But I, I think this one had an energy that um yeah, it made the record really. I mean we wouldn't be making a record without it. I want to chat about the next song on the album Baby Annihilation, but before we do that, let's hear it. An alligator prince with crocodile tears, too many to count. Permanent head cold dreams, a wash in your love, falling in and out. Time is luck, and I wish ours overlapped more, or for longer. Orange leaves, but we're the ones falling off trees. The first time I took the mask off, just had another one on underneath. I'm just melted wax. And Track number 10, Baby Annihilation from Fall Out Boy. Pete, tell me about that song we just heard. So this one, lots of times I'm sure you know, you've felt this from being in a band that's for a long time, but like... People want you to do earlier iterations of your thing, and you're yeah. like, ah, it's not authentic and whatever. But like every once in a while, you can find something that like you're like, I can kind of like update this one, and it like is something that pays homage to what it was, you know. And so we've done these like spoken word things on records before, and it's like, ah, there's like there is a version of this that could exist on this record. Um, and so that's what this was. It was like really free flowing, and it 
it also felt like working with Neil, like, I'm like, he'll help, help find a way to, like, kind of massage it in. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, people were like, it's got such a weird title. And I was like, uh, <laughs> well, the end of the thing just says, like, a little annihilation, and so yeah. we were calling it Lil Annihilation. And then after a while, we were like, "What about just baby annihilation?" Like Lil, he's he's Lil. <laughs> yeah. I love that. How did he go from straight edge hardcore to pop punk? <laughs> and where does pop punk and emo cross over? Buzzcocks. It starts with for me. Buzzcocks is pop punk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's you know, I'm and damn good. Your generation. Um, does it start with like Green Day or? You know, I mean, for other people, I imagine Kinks and yeah. it started with them and for other people, the Strokes, maybe. Yeah, I always think it's, like, interesting, like, the, na- the like, descriptors we put on certain things. Like, yeah. certain things yeah, are just, very like, much will so. always be... To me, like, pop punk, like, was, you know, like, Screeching Weasel. Yeah, I mean, a Green Day, obviously. And then, they, and then like, Green Day obviously got so big that it kind of became the umbrella that, like, yeah. all that era of pop punk kind of lived under. And then there was, you know, Blink. And then I think... When our generation came, they were like, well, we're not going to, like, we're going to do, like, a cutoff on pop punk, and, like, you guys will be, like, the first emo bands, you know? Yeah. But there was also, like, emo that predated that, you know? like Which was very different. Like, so it's like, and I think, like, straight edge kind of hardcore is, like, Fugazi and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, is that... Would you agree with that? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think that we were more in the, like... You know, originally, we were, like, more probably in the 90s straight edge hardcore, yeah, so it was, yeah. like chugging and um earth crisis, earth crisis, earth crisis and bands yeah. like that oh, yeah, yeah. and honestly to me at least at the time like we just kind of um doing that every night all the time is like heavy and it's a lot on your brain and a lot on your throat <laughs> and it felt like it would be fun to do something that was like melodic and yeah. just kind of for the hell of it you know what i mean like there's something that didn't feel like it had all this like and it's funny of course that's the one that you know like you end up doing 20 years later the one that you're kind of doing on a lark or whatever you know like because there was just it just was it kind of frees you up it frees you up yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah yeah that's something that i i love that question because it's something that we don't get to talk about a lot but i think that Con- I, I wish I could contextualize for people, Andy and Pete especially, because because uh, Joe and I are about you know four years younger or whatever, which now doesn't mean anything, but at the time that <laughs> it was, was a chasm, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and so they had. Andy and Pete were both in real bands that toured, you know. Mm-hmm. They were in hardcore bands that had records out and stuff. So so to us, it was like, well, you guys are. This is clearly a side thing, you know. Like nobody, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's doing fall out boy seriously right? right and early on i think we all kind of had that kind of looseness with it because you know it was really just fun it was just kind of a a, a side experiment because both of these guys had been in or, or were in simultaneously like five or six other hardcore bands yeah. that were all yeah. heavy all you know vegan straight edge stuff and then it was kind of like one little break from it would be this thing it was weird because we would play these hardcore fests and whatever, and all of our friends were hardcore bands. And, you know, everyone was like, yeah, this is fine, but we really just want to mosh. You know, we really like, we really want to pit dance right now. So, you know, we'd really like to see that band, you know. But then we would play these shows, and for some reason, people kept coming, and people wanted to hear us again. And yeah. and it was it was really random. And, and I knew that, I knew it was a thing when Pete's band, he, he started doing us over his band, over, you know, his his what I thought of as his real band, you know. We just didn't know what the rules to this band were. So like it, weren't right. just, you yeah, know, weren't like, it was freeing, like you said. Next up, the Kitsugi Kid. Ten years. In brackets, more brackets. More, more brackets. brackets. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, God, I'm, I'm just loving it. This one was recorded and nearly completed 
but was very close to not making the record until a sequence issue. You know, as we're as we're sequencing the record, it was like, you know what, this would be. We need this here. It's right? like the little song that could. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, it really was. It found its way back onto the record. It was one that I really believed in. Um, that I that I had really felt strongly about. Um, but I feel like it, it didn't really. It wasn't necessarily disliked, but it wasn't like anybody's top pick. You know. Um, but then finally, it found it found its niche when it was like. No, we need we need this kind of tempo here. We need this kind yeah. of movement here. And I was like, yes, yeah. you know, <laughs> fantastic. Finally, I love the show. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful too. thing where people talking about their music is so great. That was the Kitsugi Kid, open brackets, 10 years, close brackets, on Tim's listening party. Tim Burgess here, still joined by Patrick, Pete and Andy from Fall Out Boy, celebrating their new album, So Much for Stardust. I mean, who does all the writing? Is it join? I know in my band there's like two camps and then there's always one, well, Martin, our bass player, who we look for approval from to see if we're going on the right track. I mean, I think that in the beginning of the band, like, I don't know, I won't speak exactly to it, so like, like Patrick... It's more of a um, melody, phrasing, musical, music theory kind of guy, and I'm right. like a verbiage. And so, like, they really clash, you know yeah, what I mean? And yeah, when we get yeah. the recipe just right, those are the songs of ours, that I think, that have been connected with people. And then yeah. we've gotten it not exactly right before. Like, like one of us dominates the other a little bit on certain songs, and you're like, well, it didn't connect quite the way we thought. Like, I, I do think that the the best Fall Out Boy ones are the ones where we kind of get the mixture right and we worked with Neil Avron on this record who we worked with in the past and he's very good at like um, delegating would be the wrong word but he's just very good at like getting the right perspective from the right person at the right time you know what I mean like he'll how, go do they, and, how do they know that yeah he'll somehow like ask you about the thing when you're like I actually had something to say now you know what I mean yeah, like, yeah yeah if you I mean how many kind of different styles of producers if you work with you know we're with it with, with a bunch actually at this point which was kind of um that was actually part of the point of of working with neil again was that neil was our second producer really yeah. and then you know we went off into the world you know we got to go you know we got to go experience you know records with babyface and timbaland and you know yeah. um and, and we had like the it feels like the right person most of the time the right person for the job like what we for what we needed at the time like even butch yeah. or whatever yeah, like yeah. it was butch like the, Walker, it was like yeah. yeah yeah and and so we so we got to experience working with all these different producers and um i think after that many years of of doing that i had felt this kind of desire to go back to neil because neil was a neil is very different than a lot of other producers and then you know like i said he was your second producer so Uh we just assume that's how you make records but he's he's very meticulous in a way that i don't see that much um where you know you'll play him the song and he goes how do we feel about this tempo how do we feel about this key for your voice you know how what's what are what are the drums what's the snare roll doing here with the against the bass line at this point so so he he dissects your song and every everything is deliberate i remember this one time I, I sang something and I, I had this vocal run, you know, I just kind of fell off a note, right? Like that was mm-hmm. the way that I sang. It was just kind of like, uh, whatever. And he's like, what happens here on, on the end of beat two? 
You know, what、uh-huh. is that? What note is that? I'm like, I don't know what's,、uh, you know? <laughs> and、yeah. he's like, no, 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 that has to be a pitch. We have to, you know, we have to know what that is. And anyway, I thought after doing all these records with,、uh, with all these other producers, it would be amazing to bring all the stuff we've learned back to Neil、yeah. with that kind of.、Uh, and he'd been out as well doing yeah, well, tons he, of other stuff. Yeah, and- I mean, he's, that's the other thing, too. It was kind of a hard sell to get him to do a record. He doesn't really produce all <laughs>、right. that much anymore. He, he doesn't, he's, he's like a world class mixer. He, you know, he's won like, I don't know, four Grammys or something、mm-hmm. for it. So, so he doesn't have a lot of Fall Out Boy time. You know? so, so it was kind of, you know, it, it kind of took some convincing. But I just had this feeling. I felt like、uh, when we were in the room with him the first time, I felt like I was in like, I was in some enchanted forest cartoon. He was like, What are we trying to say? Right? He's、yeah. like, What are you trying to say? And then he spun around the chair and I felt like he like, looked inside of me and was like, <laughs> What are you trying to say? You know what I mean? And I was like, Oh my God. Well, and, and、uh. it's funny too because Neil's a very quiet, understated、yeah. guy. So, so the way he says it is very mild, but, it's, but, it was the, but the look, the look like is real. Deep inside, like, <laughs> like you can see my so, future. So, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I mean, you hear about producers like, you know, recording every syllable kind、yeah. of like,、um, you, you know, separately. And,、mm-hmm. and I, I was really obsessed with Guy Stevens. Produced London Calling for a long time and just used to walk around with a chair smashing everything up while, while Joe was doing his singing and stuff like that. But, so I'm quite interested in the production technique. So he produced the whole record. He produced the whole record. And that was another、okay. thing that was very important to me. was、um, So we did the last record, Mania, really didn't have a central producer.、Um, yeah. There, we, we, you know, throughout the songs,、um, we worked with a bunch of different people. And、um, Which can be quite nice to try it, that. It, it can.、Like、that, can it? And that was really probably our most. Overt experiment with that.、Mm-hmm. I'm not disappointed with it by any means.、Sure. It was just one of those things where I did kind of miss the.、Um, there's something to the, the method of, you know, you block out a studio for this many days and, you know, you have your, your kit set up and whatever and, you know, you show up every day at the same place and, you know, and, you know, you all have the same coffee and you're sitting around and, you know, the en- it's the、yeah. same engineer and the same assistant and everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, whereas yeah. it's akin to like a coach and a team or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's、exactly. like weird to have a different coach for a couple of games sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. It's a difference between microwaving and actually cooking. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And, and so it was.、Thanks. I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah, one, one quote per interview. No, I, I, like, I like that concept. The penultimate track, What a Time to Be Alive. Patrick, what did this track mean to you? So, more than any song on this record, this was my baby. This was one that I、uh, pushed for.、Um, and I think at, at every given point, the first time anybody heard it, they were like, Really? Like, this is, <laughs> you know, I think that was kind of the response I got. I'm like, no, no, really. I, I, I got to do this. It, I felt like.、Uh, Patrick was determined to get this on the record. I, I felt like. I felt like.、Um, like Gamora being like, what? What? Is it done? What did it cost you? <laughs> Everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, look, I won't name the song, but there actually was a. Because that's, that, that's up to you if you want to name the song, but there was actually a bargain. Yeah.、Uh, where, where I was like, I, I was, don't even remember this. So I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, Pete, I don't want to put this song on the record, but, but if I get What a Time to Be Alive, you can have this one.、Yeah. Like, this was our, like, because we generally. You can definitely say, I don't remember. It was so good right now. Because、uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't really get that one. And you were like, no, 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 this has to go on the record. And I'm like, well, if that goes on the record, could I please have What a Time to Be Alive? Can that just be my one gimme? And he's like, okay. <laughs>
what a time to be alive. So, um, you've been doing your own uh, playback parties, and um, we're about to do one in Banquet Records, mm-hmm. and um, I believe that sold out in 10 seconds. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, congratulations. <laughs> and, uh, so, I mean, is that for connection or affirmation, or what? I mean, do you still love that idea of connecting with, you know, in such small venues? And I know you played Band on the Wall, you know, recently in my hometown, Manchester. And yeah. I mean, you play in stadiums at the end of the year. But. Yeah. I think that it's cool to be able to flex both of those muscles agreed, you know i think agreed. it's really important yeah, um, yeah and i also like in in rooms like that it's fun to road test songs and you find out if the song does what you thought it was gonna do in a little room are you playing lots from the new album we played at least two songs from the new album we'll probably do more you know when it's out but i think yeah. that's also the reason for doing like some of the like listening parties and stuff is like an album or art or a movie or a painting is what it is when it's at your house and your studio you know but it's like when it goes out into the world it becomes what it really is you know so like right now we're at that weird in between i talk about it like like it's like a bottle of wine like is the wine good is it skunky we don't you know like it's like no one's no one's drinking yeah so when it's put in front of people it's a whole has a whole different meaning yeah Yeah. people pick what their favorite parts are or they like you know and i think that that's when it really becomes what it it becomes you know like yeah the, the metallica like black album was the Black Album, but like when it went out into the world and people were like relentless about it, that's when it became the album, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I say, you're back in the UK for an arena tour starting in October with two O2 dates in early November. For fans outside the UK, you're playing a European tour and a huge US tour with stadium gigs with the likes of Bring Me The Horizon and support. 20 years after your first album and eight albums in, how has your relationship with fame changed? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like uh, we had like, you know, maybe a year or two years where it was like super famous, like when it was on TRL and there weren't boy bands and like people were always outside of your hotel and yeah. you like you would enter hotels through the kitchen, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And it was not a great life. Like that's why like I look at, you know, um, some of the K-pop and and uh one direction and, I'm, and like you know the, all the stuff that they kind of do and i'm like like yeah. god bless it was not that long for us like the attention's cool and like the that you know but like it's just i don't know you can't go anywhere or do anything so i kind of yeah. feel for them you know or whatever um and to me there was a time where it's kind of like like luke in um i think it's an empire where he goes into the cave you know or whatever and yeah. like you're just like you don't need the lightsaber because you only bring what you you know and he's yeah, like no i'm cave. bringing the lightsaber remember yeah. you're, you're <laughs> <in> <laughs> the cave. yeah and you don't you don't you just whatever you bring into fame yeah. like it come like that's all there is you know what i mean yeah, there's not yeah. you don't get extra stuff no one goes like oh now you'll be full or whatever you know and so to me uh I wanted to be like less famous so like i rearranged my life to like have it be like this is the amount like i yeah. love playing the band i, I love and the playing success big of the shows band and, yeah yeah and that yeah, stuff yeah, and being yeah, able to yeah. tour the world with my friends but i don't really want the rest of the thing i really enjoy my family i yeah. really you know and i also think that we're in a time where like we live in this like really inauthentic time where everybody's taking pictures of their food and like there's so much fomo and so much you know mm-hmm. and you're like if I was there, would I even like? I only wish I was there because I'm not there. But if I was there, I would just want to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just such a, it's a strange time, and I don't know if we're like as uh, a species really meant to feel and see all these things so often. Like when you wake up in the morning, and you're like looking at your phone, and like it just can't be. There's no way. It's just too much stuff. It too is. many feelings. So, and, it's so you know? addictive. You yeah, know? and so I think that that all really went into this song, you know, and it really went into the. 
Yeah, it's just, it's so much, you know. And then the brackets, you know. Yeah, the brackets. More yeah. brackets. <laughs> I know. I it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Well, thank you so much. And uh, hope you have um, a really great rest of the stay in uh, this beautiful country, thank this you. messed up country. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, thanks for joining us on thank the you. listening party. Yeah. Thanks thank for having us. Thank you. Morgan, a video really quick or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be amazing yeah, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah, oh, of um, course. Um, okay, here we go. Hey, Morgie, it's me, obviously. But guess who I'm with? Hey, Morgan. Fallout Boy. Century. <laughs> <laughs> How does it go? Oh, I'm not singing. <laughs> it's too early right now. It's too, it's too early for it to sing. What? You wait. I'll see you later. A big thanks to Patrick, Pete and Andy from Fallout Boy for joining me on this episode of Tim's Listening Party. Their album, So Much, for Stardust, came out on Friday, so make sure you give it a listen. I also wanted to use this time to let you know what I've been listening to this past week. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's XTC and it's called Skylarkin. I love it because it was produced by Todd Rundgren. I love it even more, the fact that Andy, um, the leader of XTC, Andy Partridge, didn't like... Um, the production at the beginning but now realizes that it was a great effort i've also been listening to um wise blood uh, not any particular album but all of her albums because i've been a big fan for a long time but i actually think that the latest one is her best work this week i've also been listening to moondog because you know you should read up on him if you don't know him he's a a character uh they used to call him the viking of new york um he was a composer and a minimalist. And he actually did some uh, incredible compositions. Just check him out. Of course, tonight's listening party might be over, but that doesn't mean that you still can't get involved. So don't forget to tweet me using the hashtag Tim's Twitter listening party. I'm Tim Burgess, and thanks for listening. I'll see you next time for another listening party. Every song in this episode of my listening party was taken from Fallout Boys So Much for Stardust. They were written and performed by Pete Vence, Patrick Stump, Joe Troman and Andy Hurley. The album was released on the labels Fueled by Ramen and DCD2. See you next time. Absolute Radio, telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.